The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. Massachusetts' first full-scale casino is operating up and running out in Springfield, and there's a second resort casino just around the corner in Everett. Colin Young, you spoke with casino executives from MGM Springfield uh, this week and regulators about how these first three weeks have gone out in Western Mass. Uh, Give us a sense, if you could, of what the positive news is out of Springfield as well as uh, the kinks that they said they're still trying to iron out out there. Yeah, hey, Sam. Uh, Let's start with the positives. Mike Mathis, president and chief operating officer of MGM Springfield, told the Gaming Commission this week that his casino is attracting about 50,000 visitors on weekend days and about 25,000 visitors on weekdays. Uh, Both of those are well above the company's uh, original estimates that they would see between 15 and 20,000 guests per day. Mathis said uh, there were 150,000 people who visited MGM Springfield during its first three days of operations, with with 65,000 of them visiting on the opening day or night alone. And it isn't just the casino uh, out in Springfield that's doing well. Mathis said that the retail uh, functions of the casino project, including its South End Market, Uh, have also surpassed visitor estimates by two or three times. Uh, MGM was expecting about 1,800 people to visit that uh, market area each day, and Mathis says that they've already hit the 4,000 guest mark. Uh, During that opening three-day weekend back in August, MGM served uh, 4,500 hamburgers, about 1,200 pounds of lobster. Oh, wow. And visitors poured... 9,500 gallons of soda from the casino's complimentary self-serve soda station out there. Free soda. Free soda. Uh, Mathis said revenues have been strong for the first three weeks, but we won't get a real detailed accounting of their revenues uh, until Monday when the Gaming Commission is expected to release the revenues for MGM Springfield and Plain Ridge Park uh, down in Plainville for the month of August. So for MGM, that will really only mean about one week, but it is at least our first indication of uh, what the state could expect in terms of tax revenue from the casino. Uh, and on to the negatives, the porous and open design of the casino, which has, uh, like I mentioned, all kinds of retail and entertainment options aside from the gambling. A lot of entrances to the gaming floor. A lot of entrances, exactly. Uh, that's led to a problem with underage gaming out at MGM Springfield and having people under the legal gambling age of 21 on the gaming floor. Mathis said some parents are choosing to leave their children in different parts of the resort while they're gambling, uh, and that MGM has identified that as a big problem. Uh, To combat that problem, uh, MGM uh, has banned unattended minors, and it considers anyone under the age of 16 to be an unattended minor. Uh, And there's a curfew of midnight. So after midnight, you have to either be 21 or older or be a guest at the MGM hotel to be able to be at the casino. So MGM Springfield might be the only casino open right now, but as we said, just around the corner, Wynn Resorts is building its own resort casino in Everett under the sobriquet of um, Encore Boston Harbor. Exactly. Um, now, even as the Gaming Commission continues its investigation of sexual misconduct allegations against Wynn's former CEO, Steve Wynn, 
uh, and the handling of those allegations by the Wynn board. So is there any update from this week's uh, Gaming Commission meeting on where that process stands now? Yeah, that process is in its final stage, uh, according to Gaming Commission Executive Director Ed Bedrosian. Uh, the commission has, since January, been reevaluating the circumstances surrounding its 2014 decision to award Wynn Resorts a casino license. Uh, the head of the commission's investigations bureau confirmed previously that Steve Wynn paid a private $7.5 million settlement to a manicurist to resolve a sexual harassment allegation, and that that allegation was not disclosed when Wynn Resorts sought and then eventually received a casino license here in Massachusetts. Uh, there are investigators from the Gaming Commission out in Las Vegas this week. They're following up on a few outstanding issues, and Bedrosian said Thursday he expects uh, to discuss how the commission will move forward with the conclusions of its investigation at its next meeting, which will be September 27th. And Chairman Steve Crosby said this week that once the commission um, finds out uh, exactly what the investigation has gleaned, uh, that the commission has, quote, virtually unlimited authority to act as we see fit once we fully understand what happened. So more to come on that in about two weeks. How many pounds of lobster did you say out in Springfield? That was 1,200 pounds of lobster. 1,200 pounds. Have you seen mine? No, you know... uh, Where'd my lobsters go? (laughs) I think they crawled out of the studio here. None of those 1,200 pounds were for us. Uh, All right. Well, thanks, Colin. Thanks a lot, Sam. You as well. The state's healthcare data agency reported this week that healthcare spending grew 1.6% last year, making 2017's growth rate the slowest of the past five years. Katie Lannon, you cover all things um, Chia and HPC for us. Uh, is this good news? Well, the state officials who monitor these types of things at those agencies you just mentioned, the Health Policy Commission and the Center for Health Information and Analysis, Mm -hmm. say that a few times fast, (laughs) uh, they say it's a sign of encouraging progress on reining in the cost of care. But once you dive in a little deeper, there's some data that shows the affordability problem certainly isn't solved. Despite that overall slower growth, out-of-pocket cost-sharing expenses and premiums for people covered through small employers are rising faster than inflation and wage growth. There's also been somewhat of a surge in enrollment in high-deductible health plans. About 28% of the population is now covered that way. And questions have been posed over whether those high deductibles can discourage people from getting the care that they do need. Then there's the bigger question of, of what it all means, what that slower growth means. Does it truly reflect smaller increases in cost? Or is there a shift of services to less expensive settings like urgent care centers, which have experienced really huge growth lately? Or does it reflect underutilization or other changes in what care people are actually seeking out? The Health Policy Commission, like it does every year, plans to explore these new numbers and trends further at its annual cost trends hearing next month, which uh, you may also know as the Super Bowl of Healthcare. So they say, looking forward to that. And uh, the HPC at its meeting this past week highlighted mass health numbers as a potential cause for celebration. What's going on there? That's right. Mass health, which is an area where we typically see increased spending year over year, actually experienced a slight drop in spending last year, down 0.2% to the still considerable $17.2 billion. Now, Chia attributes that to a 2.4% decline in mass health enrollment, with the amount of spending every month for each member still rising. Now, the Baker administration is also cheering that lower spending, which they say comes from stronger internal controls and improved caseload management. The governor's made it sort of a priority to wrestle down mass health spending growth so that it doesn't crowd out other budget priorities. 
And those efforts have included his repeated unsuccessful attempts to get lawmakers to go along with his eligibility reforms. But given that effort from the corner office, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear talk of this lower spending as Governor Baker hits the campaign trail this fall. Oh, right. All right. Thanks very much, Katie. Thanks, Sam. After years of failing to push their proposal through the legislature, the Massachusetts Nurses Association has led a push this year to put their mandatory nurse staffing question on the November ballot. And this requirement for hospitals would be aimed at ensuring better patient care. The proposal is locked in for the ballot on November 6th. And uh, Mike Norton's here now to catch us up on some of the debate that's been generated recently. Well, thanks, Sam. The nurses union is adamant that their proposal is affordable, uh, saying several hospitals already comply with it and most others can afford to bring staffing levels up by reassigning resources and moving money away from administration. And that was the gist of a study released Monday written by a nursing economist at Boston College who also used to lead the nurses union that concluded the question would cost acute care hospitals less than $47 million. Now, opponents of the question strongly disagree. They point to an April report commissioned by the Mass Health and Hospital Association that found the question would cost the healthcare system $1.3 billion the first year and $900 million annually in subsequent years. Now, that report by Mass Insight Global Partnerships and BW Research Partnership said implementation would require the hiring of nearly 6,000 registered nurses within 37 business days. Other groups have also come out in opposition, including the trade group representing behavioral health care providers and this week, assisted living facilities. Both are worried that more competition for nurses will hurt the quality of care they provide and drive up costs. Brian Darty, who heads up the Mass Assisted Living Association, he says the industry that industry has flourished and he's called assisted living a model of independence and choice for older adults. But Darty says he's worried about question one impacts on the 230 assisted living residences across Massachusetts. So for voters who want to cut through all this and figure out where they land, there's a lot here to go through, Mike. Well, that's correct, Sam. So far, it's been sort of a he said, she said type of campaign with claims that are immediately met by counterclaims. But some people are trying to still cut through it. Rep. Jonathan Hecht of Watertown and the Tisch College of Civic Life at Tufts University, they're attempting to give voters some independent information. They've pulled together a group of 20 Massachusetts voters selected to closely match the demographics of the electorate for a program designed to produce pro and con statements about the ballot question that can be easily digested by average voters. And that group is currently wrapping up its work. Others have called on the State Health Policy Commission, which was set up under the state's uh, 2012 cost containment law, to get involved and provide its own assessment. The commission so far has declined to weigh in. The topic was raised at commission advisory council meetings in May and again this month. House Minority Leader Brad Jones has also asked the commission to get involved. Now, Jones noted the considerable disagreement over the cost question and said the commission was the right entity to look into it. Now, he described the panel as an independent, data-driven source of information with a unique opportunity to inform the public debate. So far, that's not happened. The topic is likely to surface at annual hearings on cost trends next month, but by that time, the election will be right around the corner, so voters may have to just do the best they can. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Sam. 
Jay Gonzalez has been hitting Governor Charlie Baker this week since Baker said last Friday that he supports all of his party's statewide candidates, and that includes Representative Jeff Deal, who campaigned vocally for Donald Trump in 2016. Matt Murphy, you've been covering this this week. Is the governor going to regret standing behind his state party's entire ticket? Well, Sam, I think you've seen the Democrats this week really try to come together and rally around Democratic nominee for governor, Jay Gonzalez. There are other Democrats running for office, certainly. U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren, first and foremost, at the top of that ticket. But you've seen her put a substantial amount of money behind a coordinated Democratic campaign. And chief among the, the victories that they would like to wrap up is the corner office. And this has meant coalescing around Jay Gonzalez, and their first line of attack has been going after the governor, who is extremely popular, and trying to tie him to a figure who is deeply unpopular in Massachusetts, that being President Donald Trump, who new polling suggests has an approval rating of just 36% in Massachusetts. And the governor's embrace of the entire Republican ticket, even though he never mentioned Jeff Deal by name, has opened him up to this criticism that even though he has bucked the White House at times, he has gone to Washington to testify against Republican health care reform. He stood up to the president on access or woman's access to a contraception uh, free of charge. He has opposed things that the president has done on the environment and other issues. But all of that uh, doesn't negate in the minds of Democrats an endorsement of Deal, who would be one of 50-some-odd senators, uh, assuming Republicans maintain control of the Senate in D.C., who would be a vote in support of President Trump's agenda. And this is the point they're trying to hammer home among voters. And it's also worth noting that this is not the first time the governor has found himself in this position. He's sort of tried to be the big tent Republican. He has endorsed Republicans like Dean Tran for the state Senate, like Jim Lyons in the House. These are Republicans who are far more conservative than him, who don't share all of the same policy objectives and and preferences. His campaign, if you talk to them, privately say that this should not override the governor's personal record, and that is what he's going to be campaigning on, while the Democrats try and tie him to this national Republican brand that he has run against or run away from for the past four years. Matt, are Democrats right when they say that a senator deal would be a rubber stamp for the president's agenda? Well, we tried this week unsuccessfully to kind of nail down Governor Baker on why exactly he's supporting Jeff Deal and whether or not he actually thinks Jeff Deal will be a better senator for Massachusetts than Elizabeth Warren. But in the absence of being able to drill down with the governor on that endorsement, I did speak with Jeff Deal about how he feels about being used as a pawn in this gubernatorial election as he's trying to run his own campaign. And he said it's absolutely not true that he's a rubber stamp for the president, although he does support the president's push to build a border wall and repeal the Affordable Care Act. He pointed out that he has uh, stood up to and opposed the White House when they proposed to eliminate the state and local tax deductions as part of the GOP tax plan. That was the one example he gave. And he said he'll be willing uh, to stand up to Trump when it's in the uh, best interests of Massachusetts. And after the blowback this week over Baker's support for Deal, I heard a couple of folks say this week, just wait for Attorney General Maura Healey's televised debates with her Republican opponent, Jay McMahon, who's a vociferous Trump supporter, Matt. 
Well, that's right. Perhaps even more vocally than Jeff Deal, uh, Jay McMahon has truly embraced President Trump on the stump. And uh, in backing the entire Republican slate, uh, Governor Baker is also thrown in with a candidate for attorney general uh, like Jay McMahon. And uh, the U.S. Senate race obviously drawing the most interest given what Jeff Deal would represent as a vote in Congress for the president's agenda. But uh, certainly when uh, the broader electorate get, starts to get a look at Jay McMahon and starts to hear more of what he has to say, uh, particularly his pro-gun uh, stance that stands in opposition to uh, the Democrats who have uh, pushed gun control here on Beacon Hill and Attorney General Maura Healey, who has fought to enforce the assault weapons ban. Uh, this will also uh, showcase uh, the governor uh, throwing in with someone who is perhaps more conservative uh, than what his own policy agenda over the past four years has looked like. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Sam. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.